We're here at Farmgate talking with Jim and uh, the rest of the group here. You're located about half hour north outside of uh, Kanata, Ottawa right. area. Yeah, still in the city of Ottawa, but... You've yeah. got, and you said, about 150 trees here, a handful of different varieties that you're uh, that you're working with. And then you've also, because you've grown so much over the last year and a bit, you've picked up some other uh, support from different groups. Yeah, as well. yeah. So we offered a program called the Apple Stewardship Program where apple trees kind of get a free pass. No one cuts an apple tree down, but it doesn't mean they have the time or the skill to look after them. And, e and every farm... Uh, <laughs> Every farm usually had a few. So we, we kind of did it as a community outreach thing. We thought we we're planting a lot more trees ourselves. But we thought, you know, it's a way to get some fruit. And uh, we thought we'd get a couple dozen trees. And we ended up stopping the program this year at 300. So we spent about uh, six weeks this spring with a double-sized crew pruning. And we spent about the same amount of time picking all this fruit. And it'll bear, <laughs> it'll bear fruit in a few years. I mean, these trees have not seen love for a few. But there's, it's really neat because there's some apple varieties. I don't, nobody seems to know what they are. So it's, uh, it used to be that every region had their own trees, right? So there's, I know there's an apple called the Lanark Greening. I don't think I have any in my care. But, it's, uh, but every region had their own. And uh, so several of these trees, are. we'll, we'll see how they go. So... Um, you'll see when we get to the cidery, we're going back to doing some small batch ciders because I don't know what these apples taste like. So we're gonna we're gonna do all these, keep them separate for the for initially, figure it out, and then I can figure out the blends just like we did when we learned to make cider in the first place. And when did that start? How long ago was that? Uh, probably about six or seven years ago. Um, I, I do remember the very first batch. We said, oh, well, we're not, we usually just kind of wing things and going to get going. And we said, we're not going to do that. We're going to go on the internet. We're going to figure out the right way to do it. Did some reading, got a recipe, and the batch was horrible. We just ended up, this is the only batch I've ever dumped. And uh, it was the very first one. But uh, we persisted and it got better. And uh, since then, we've done some formal training at Cornell and, the, and, uh, and made a lot more cider. And our, and our game has got a lot better. But yeah, yeah. so it's about six years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a week-long course. And you'd wonder mm, how much you're going to get out of a week. But it, for us, I wouldn't recommend going cold. Like I would make cider for a couple of years first, um, I think. I think we got more out of the course than our classmates that some of them had not made any cider before and they were just learning. Um, and so the kind of the, I mean, they do many levels of courses with the same uh, with the same teaching staff. So I think you get more out of it if you made you know had a few goes at it yourself. And we found that that's been pretty standard with a lot of the people here in the sector that have been doing that. The extra little bit of training after starting in for a little while on the passion side of things has really helped them with the work what they've they've done going through. So you're sort of now two and a half, three years sort of into more of a commercial exploration of things or one in a bit uh we got licensed officially last april so april 2017 and uh so we had last year was our first partial year of selling and this is our first full year of selling so we, we are um so we had kept some juice and so we were able in our first year to use some juice from the year before but really it's uh, so last year uh, this year, from on, I mean, we do two lines of cider. What happened is we didn't, you know, you start these things, you just don't know how fast they're going to go. Um, and I think uh, being local and being, I think the timing's right for cider in this area. I mean, the it, cider tends to follow the craft brewing. And so it just went a lot faster than we thought. And, you know, you never know. Family says they like your cider but and friends, but what are they going to say, right? So it's until you start, you don't know. And so we sold out, as you know, by about April, we were done all of our state cider. We could see it coming, and so we uh, started making cider. Our fastest cider batch is about four months, and so we could see around Christmas we're going to be in trouble. So, so we started making uh, some cider with uh, with uh, locally sourced juice, and that's what we're selling right now. And um, we'll have 
three to four times. I think we'll end up about four times as much uh, state cider this year from the 2018 crop than we did from 17. And your your output right now is essentially just the market, correct? Yeah, and we sell online as well. So um, and we sell in pubs now. So we just picked up. Uh, we just started selling. We didn't do any pubs really last year to speak of. We did as a, a guest tap at the uh, Bar Lupulus, I think, in November. <laughs> but now we're a regular at the uh, Rich Rock down here and the Cheshire Cat and the Whitewater Rafting, and we've got a. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. They, are <laughs> they are rafters. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and there's and there's a queue. There's lots of people quite interested. It's uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a lower margin business. Um, but we're, what we're trying to avoid is uh, keeping as much as we can away from the LCBL. Pubs, you have to go to the LCBL. There's no choice. But um, selling direct to uh, online and uh, and and, oh, and um, farmers markets, uh, you don't have to pay the LCBL, which is makes a big difference to your bottom line. Are you large enough here to be able to do your own retail store on property? We do. We have our own retail store, and it's not very grand at all, but it's uh, we do. In fact, to sell in farmer's markets, you have to have a retail store. It's the There's four levels of licensing. It's that one unfortunate part about the business is, is I probably should spend a day a week doing paperwork. It's just you have to do federal filings and you know, provincial filings, you have to file with the uh, LCBO, you have to register each farm market you go, you have to keep track of every piece of fruit you pick, all the juice, everything you throw away. It's just, it's tons and tons, it's controlled substance and there's just tons and tons of paperwork. But it's, if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it. And it sounds like you've run into the two challenges that we've seen over the last two years. One is product availability because of the interest and the second is those legal requirements of trying to find a way to be able to make it so it's a viable opportunity going forward. Do you, do you work as well on the side or is this sort of what has become full-time? Well, we did uh, till uh, the new year. I quit my job at Christmas and uh, so my it's a family affair. My two sons, uh, one's well, I trained as a brewer, so yeah, he's just a natural fit for it. And the other fellow was looking for a way out of Toronto, so he quit his job as well. So there's three of us full time. Um, then anybody that comes on the farm gets roped in. So uh, <laughs> and we have a few part timers. My one of my uh, son's partner, my one son's partner, um, does a lot of the production and sales work. Another one does a lot of the marketing. So it's uh, yeah. And then in peak season, like pruning and and harvest we we hire locally as well usually people friends of you know people that are looking for stuff or there's an amazing number of people that are well trained have good jobs but still want to come and pick apples so mm-hmm. and of course a couple of dogs around as well so yeah absolutely yeah well we can continue wandering if you want yeah, sure. that way and that's good yeah. as the dogs eat off the ground <laughs> so this is uh this is probably like some of the ones that self-propagated for you the, the great big guy behind <laughs> Yeah, so that's, uh, it makes a really interesting apple. A lot of the um, uh, wild apples are highly astringent, uh, which, which is good for cider. As are these guys, these are russets, and we have northern spies down below. Both of them have some good amount of tannins, and it was a good fluke to plant those. Again, like I said, it was an original plant to make cider, so. <laughs> it just does. And you've let those get so much larger than these? Those are semi-dwarfs, um, and the, the rootstock is a bigger rootstock. And so these guys are, this guy's as big as he's ever going to get. Oh, really? You'll get bushier, but he's not going to get any taller. And the advantage of these guys is um, you'll, you can probably, when it's all get three or four times the fruit, um, but you can, can see how much easier it is to pick. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the big commercial orchards, what they do now is they plant them at five-foot intervals. They put them on a trellis like grapes. They train them flat. And then you can just walk down and pick the fruit. You don't have a, 
ladders or any any of the hassle yeah, like that. Yeah, and we, we saw that at the, uh, the, the research sessions that they were doing in, um, in Simcoe. We right. went to go visit that, and you could see the very specifics of the angles of what they were putting on and the paperwork of how many you need for a size to get how much out to be viable and all that kind of stuff and as well. And you have well, to irrigate, so. and it's very, very, almost impossible to do that organically. So it's, uh, but if you're in, a, again, if you're in the commercial business, it makes a huge difference. It's just absolutely huge because the market's pretty fickle. Hot honey crisp is really big this year and, you know, four or five years later, it's something else. And so those dwarf trees, you can go from nothing to full production in about five or six years if you throw them on the trellis like that. But we're, we're uh, all the trees we're planting will be either this size or that size. So they're very manageable. You can pick everything off a stepladder. Um, and I was saying one of the things you get away with in, uh, when you're making cider is you can tree ripen so you get better apples and you can use your windfalls if you're careful about cleaning up underneath. And you can also shake them like you already do. Yeah. Because a bruise, they're going to get awfully bruised when they go through the crusher. So a little <laughs> bruise on them doesn't really make a lot of difference. As long as you use them pretty, pretty quickly. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. So when we, when we shake them, we usually crush we, this year because we're working at it full time. We process that usually the day, if we shake them the day we, we shake them. Oh, okay. And trees, these trees we hand picked. Um, it's just because they're so dense, you can, you can get the productivity up. You can pick, you know, many bushels an hour. And, you know, kind of, we're, kind of, we're still kind of working through the productivity side of it, but we're really trying to do it. Anybody we hire, we don't want to give them a living wage. Like we don't want to try to, you know, a lot of the commercial guys have to use um, kind of uh, offshore uh, below standard uh, wage to make things work and we're trying to cider's got a little bit more margin so we're hoping that we can with the people we hire we can hire at, at or above minimum wage for sure yeah so what the uh what you see here is almost uh, anything that can hold cider around this place is holding cider we started in our basement but we're largely out of our basement now and this was my machine shop, but now it's the sort of the, the sort of the, the main part where we do our cider. We're building a second. Uh, oh, no dogs in. Oh, Sterling, hey, hey, sweetie, hey, Sterling, come here. Don't make your friends outside. People don't uh, like dog hair in their cider. Yeah. It could be a specialized one. If you guys can come in, dog stay out. Nope. Really? Nope. 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 <laughs> Go on. Stay. Dave. Don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. So, we, uh, the technique we use is a barrel age technique. So these are all stainless steel barrels, uh, primarily made for maple syrup. It's for long-term maple syrup storage. And there's two kinds, ones where you can see where it kind of has a snap lock. You can take the lid right off, those ones, which are really nice for doing fermentation because they get all gunky, they're really easy to clean. And then these ones we use, you typically use for secondary fermentation. We're using them for both right now because we've got more juice and we know where to put it. And we're trying to do a lot of smaller batches, as I said. And then we also, somewhere around here, we have these little 23 liter ones. And when we get to the shipping container, you'll see we have dozens of those. And so for a pressing, let's say from a, a new tree, I keep 23 liters. They're all categorized. I keep track of them, do the chemistry. You know, so, so I know what I got, and then we'll do blending and decide what we want to do with them later. And some of the people, I think, will be quite keen to have cider that came from their tree on their property. So, uh, But ultimately, when we scale it, what I really want to know is, oh, okay, what you do is you take, you know, four of those and three of those, and that makes an interesting cider. And then what we do is we mix it at the fruit level rather than at the juice level. 
it's just a lot easier than cleaning in a whole bunch of small vessels like that. But that's how we started, 23 liters, and then moved up to hundreds. We have some conicals outside, which it was a plastic. It was so Soviet experiment, it's harder to get it clean. Mm -hmm. So you get variable results. And, uh, and it was hard to get a seal on them, so we're getting the air leaking in. And then up to 200s, and then you'll see outside we have big plastic ones that have really good seals, uh, totes that we do 1,000 liter batches now as well. So, so what is it you're looking, you expect to total uh, for the year? So for this year, it'll be, just let me do the math in my head, mm, it'll be north of 10,000 liters this year. Uh, probably about, um, yeah, probably about 11,000 liters. And next year it'll be between 20 and 30,000 liters. Yeah, so it's, it was about, for us it was about a 10, 10x jump. We were, we were at a, the year before we were about 1,000, no, 1,500 liters. And then it jumped up to, you know, the, into the teens is about a 10x and then about a 2 to 3x. And then eventually we're going to start to slow down. It. But, you know, you need to get up to kind of that scale to make the math work. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's, uh, yeah, so, so the, the kind of the process we go through is we do primary, and what you can see is we use, uh, these are all um, triclover fittings that was developed for the milk industry. It's, uh, it's a well, sanitary fitting, I can show you here. It just, um, it doesn't have any, um, it's really, really easy to get clean because it has, so this one's empty, so I don't care, it has a little seal, stainless surface, stainless surface, and it just clamps on. And, and they can take up to a couple hundred PSI, so it's, it's, it's really secure, and it's really easy to get clean. It's just not cheap. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I think the person that does best out of us going to the cider business are the stainless steel manufacturers, and that's why I was sweating it a bit with all the nonsense going on between Canada and the U.S. But, um, well, I think that's maybe over, we'll see. But uh, <laughs> we stopped buying, we, we actually just snuck in ahead. But these ones came from the States, we couldn't source them in Canada with a removable head. But, uh, and you can do some neat things with stainless. These guys can, you can pressurize up to about 10 PSI. These guys are 20. So if you just shut them off, this right now, is, I'm letting the CO2 blow off. But if I shut it off, you can naturally carbonate. Mm -hmm. It just kind of pressurizes. You want to get it right, or blowing up a girl would not be a great idea. So I have, yeah, I've got one set up here. You can't really see it, but it's a pressure gauge and a pressure relief valve. So I just dial up the pressure if I want. And you've got to do the calculation, and that takes a little bit of mucking around because when you filter it, you lose CO2. So you got to make sure you get the right amount and turn it on at the right time. And, but anyways, it's like a lot of things in life, it's just a lot of, you got to do it a few times before you figure it out. And you're, you're focusing on sort of four or five different standard uh, finished products and then maybe some specialty ones that you're pulling out as well? Yeah, right now we, we have five um, that we have right now. But if you looked at it, the total kind of, uh, the whole kind of list of them, we probably have about a dozen. Um, and we're still kind of finding our, which ones people really like. So for, for instance, we're playing around with, uh, last year we played around with maple syrup one as a low volume, now, now it's a standard. Uh, likewise, we did one with apple honey and we played around with it and then we got, got the balance we like and it's a standard. This year I'm playing around with um, rhubarb. I crushed and pressed rhubarb, mixed it with apple mix it with maple syrup, mix it with honey, done a whole bunch of things. We haven't decided what we're going to do with it, but it's, uh, it's really good. Yeah. And then I'm assuming that's mostly sourced either around the farm or neighbors or close by. It's all local, yeah. So the rhubarb was from here and my son's farm. And uh, all the apples and the estate stuff is ours. And then the, the juice, when we buy juices, we're buying from Halls in, in Brockville. 
And the maple syrup is either ours, because we have dark maple syrups we make here the way we make it, or we've uh, sourced some from Fulton's and local beekeepers for the honey. And yeah, so it's all local. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, I'll put my phone away so we can continue our tour uninterrupted. But uh, if people want more information on yourself, uh, where can they go to get that information? Our website's the easiest way. So that's farmgatesider.ca. Thank you so much for your time. No problems.